0: Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 43 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Amongst all the applications that we, uh, application discussions, and all the discussions we have on a regular weekly basis, APIs, converged infrastructure, web scale apps, et cetera, et cetera. Kind of the overwhelming trend of all this is that systems are becoming more and more interconnected, and in some cases, they're becoming more complicated or more complex. So today's guest, James a uh, longtime friend of the show, we're glad to have him back. Um, kind of a kind of an expert on this. So James, welcome back to the show. Well, Glad to have you back on.
1: Uh, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here, Brian. Thanks, and and uh, really enjoy these conversations. So looking forward to this
0: one. So James, you were you were on? Oh, it's been. It's been probably four or five months. It was sort of last fall. Um, last time we were on, uh, you were speaking from kind of the point of view of a lot of the work you were doing on OpenStack when you were at Cisco, but you've changed roles. What are you doing now? And uh, what have you been doing for the last four or five months?
1: Uh, uh, since early December of 2011, I've been uh, VP of product strategy for a uh, cloud management vendor in Stratus. Um, and we're uh, basically the top uh, enterprise centric uh, cloud management vendor from the perspective of consuming cloud services rather than from the perspective of delivering an IAS service. So um, the the way to think about it in Stratus is is when you have applications you want to deliver to the cloud, um, how do you build operations around that product and how do you get a single pane of glass to deliver that application on one or more clouds? And then in the enterprise what gets really interesting is the problem isn't just how you, you deliver you know a few processes around a few applications to thousands of, cloud, uh, of, of nodes like you would with say a web 2.0o environment or a big data environment. The, the problem in enterprise gets really interesting because you actually have tens or hundreds or thousands of applications. That are being delivered to the cloud infrastructure, um, each of which probably, if you average the whole thing out, probably are you know using you know five or ten servers frequently as opposed to hundreds or thousands. But the problem that you have is you're still overall using thousands of servers, and you now also have the additional scale problem of using of having thousands. You know well tens or hundreds or maybe thousands of of developers and operations personnel interacting with those clouds to run those applications so our focus is you know at in Stratus I've been thinking about this application operations problem for a long time you can see on my blog where I've sort of really been breaking down the problem over a number of years to kind of really understanding cloud is a, a you know operations model but cloud computing is an application centric operations model primarily and so I've been thinking about this problem what does that mean what are the what are the capabilities you have to deliver and uh, i 've been uh, so I was an advisor for Instratus for quite a while, and this is the perfect opportunity for me to go and answer that question with one of the you know one of the top emerging vendors in a very early emerging space right now that I honestly believe every enterprise is going to need, and very few of them, if any of them really have today
0: okay well, first of all, congratulations on the new role um, thank you so Instratus has been uh, Making a lot of noise in the market. I know we had George Reese, who was one of your founders and CTOs, on a number of months back. But let's before we sort of jump into Instratus, because I think there's um, one of the unique things about uh, say what Instratus does, or the the platform vendors who deliver um, you know management visibility to a lot of different clouds, both to a lot of different customers. Is you guys are getting probably a, a very unique set of insight um, that that much layers deeper than we see in the media, on Twitter, on the social media about what's going on with cloud. Um, You know, one of the reasons I love you know, calling you up or talking to you is every so three to six months or so, you kind of dive into some aspect of a topic. Um, In the past, it's been you know, how do you deliver applications and why is that different from what infrastructures did? Now, recently, you've been kind of focused on this system level thinking, you know. um, We're dealing with more interconnected systems. So, like you said, an enterprise might leverage a bunch of in-house resources as as a cloud, a set of cloud resources or segments of a cloud. They might try and interconnect that with a public cloud service multiple public cloud services so you you've got a much more interconnected complicated model now um, you've been not only writing about it a lot on your blog your blog you write over on GigaOm, but you've been speaking about it give us give us kind of the insights what what triggered you to start diving into this form of thinking what have been sort of the highlights that you're finding as you're digging more into this space
1: well um I've really I became aware of complex systems and the science that's really been building um, over a number of decades uh, around the systems level view of of the world um, for for quite some time. I read a book probably uh, in uh, I would say probably two thousand two or two thousand three that had actually already been out for a while when I read it about um, sort of the uh, it's called complex systems um, and. Uh, uh, it's really taking a look at the history of the Santa Fe Institute, which is one of the the great academic institutions that's studying this world, um, and it introduced me to how that 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 world came to be. It, there's there's an amount of research on systems level thinking that goes back into the '40s, with uh, some work on cybernetics um, and and some some other uh, pieces that have been written over the the, the late '40s, the '50s, the '60s, um, that looked at you know. Stepping away from reductionist thinking, the kind of thinking that Newton introduced, where you, you you try to break things down to their component parts and figure out how the component parts do each do their thing and then you know understand the science of each element and and find root causes for you know specific phenomenon that you're seeing in the world and, and explain it in very detailed sense. Um, so that you can come up with formulas that predict how you know how this very closed system ultimately, this very closed view of the world, ultimately behaves. Um, in a systems level view, what 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 was happening was in a lot of sciences, people were saying, you know, the things that you know a, a reductionist thinking seems to suggest are going to be the case aren't always the case. A great example is in economics, you always had sort of the the, the law of diminishing returns, but there are actually situations where. There are increasing returns. For instance, if you look at what happened with uh, you know VHS versus Beta videotapes um, uh, in the marketplace, and you look at how the, the the one that got the most traction around movies and uh, around video players early on had actually increased value to the market so that it had an increased advantage over the one that didn't have that early play and so there was actually an increasing return in the market for them the more that they manufactured the more that they produced the better the market got for them and the more it generated demand for increased um, awareness of of content of of players um, of stores that rented content and everything so um, so what you know why was that was really sort of a fundamental question. And, and there began to be this identification that there are when you have groups of individual agents that each react to the world around them according to a set of, of rules and some basic frameworks, and, and even better potentially could learn from their past interactions to make determinations about how to behave, the next time they interact with the, the, the same situations. Um, what you have when you have these many, 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 many agents interconnected with no centralized intelligence that's really trying to control the behavior of the system, you still have an emerging behavior for the system itself. So you have an emerging behavior for the economy, where you see patterns in the economy that are consistent about the you know, checks and balances for, for different kinds of behaviors, but also runaway uh, events that take place on occasion. Um, you have um, you know, have that in biology, uh, both w- in terms of evolution and, and, and ecosystems, but also breaking it all the way down to the way our bodies work and how cells interact to create this living you know, conscious entity that is us. You have it in, so- in societies. In fact, societies are very, very far along in a lot of ways compared to technology in their view of complex systems and how to think about the world in terms of systems. Um, And so what came out of that for me was I began to look at what the Internet was doing to software and how we were increasingly interconnecting our software across the board and finding very quickly that, uh, you know, the the model we are beginning to build towards the way our – entire computing infrastructure and the software running on it and the businesses consuming the software um, is increasingly becoming the kind of interconnected, many-agent, no-centralized control thing that is a complex system. And it's very adaptive because developers are sort of the DNA of the system. They're going in and they're changing the way software works. They're introducing new elements, new platforms, new g- concepts, and frequently to try to, to build a thriving you know, a thriving world for their software in a highly competitive ecosystem. And so you have all of these sort of traits of complex adaptive systems starting to show up in software. And what that means, ultimately, is that the way you think about building an application and operating an application um, moves away from the siloed models that we were all very used to where we just focused on the application and focused on how to make that application as res- as stable as possible in the world that it's running okay. to this idea of the system itself having a resilience and having a, a you know an existence that has to be maintained independently of the individual agents that are running into it and that when you put your your software in that world you have to understand how your software can be resilient in the face of this ever-changing system that it's running in. And uh, I did a a presentation at uh, Glucon on a keynote where I sort of really laid out the case for why the world we're moving into is this complex adaptive systems world and, and some basic things that you can do today, some practical advice today on things that you can do as you develop your next generations of applications um and to be able to address the systems model that you have to begin to address in this interconnected world.
0: Okay. Yeah, and we'll we've got uh, we'll have a link in our show notes uh to the slides that you have presented so for folks that want to go see what what James presented that'll be in there. You know, I think a couple of things that I've I've kind of pulled out of reading what you've been writing about, looking at what you've been presenting is it, it is like you said it is a very different way of thinking about things because in the past it was um I know you know let, let's take the, the software model or the you know, kind of IT centric piece of this is um, I know my application uh, the environment that it's going to go into I have a rough idea of how much capacity and usage that it, it's, it's going to expect to get um, and so when you when you have a rough idea of, of the environment that it's in um, you can kind of plan for certain scenarios you can plan for uh, spikes and peaks you can plan for failure scenarios but I think what you're really starting to hit on is, um, and, and again, there's, there's corollaries to this in the economy and other things. When you start getting into an environment where uh, the number of things you're interconnected to can get multiple layers away from your visibility. So you may not have any idea Uh, Of how many API calls you're going to get, whether or not uh, one single entity could, you know, hammer your system uh, at levels that you never expected because of popularity or because of, uh, you know, an attack, um, or the resources that you're dependent upon because you have an interconnected application. It's it's API driven, it's partnership driven, whatever. Um, The things downstream from that you may not completely understand and so I think a lot of what you're trying to highlight to people is you know you have to be aware that that this level of interconnectedness is is far it's far broader than you had before Um, you've got to start putting some different kind of thinking and tools in place to plan for um, say failures or spikes or you know inconsistencies that you didn't necessarily have to think about in closed systems Um, is that are, are those fair starting points for for how people should start looking at what you've been diving into
1: yeah I think that you know so a couple of things that this this um, that this world is driving already that um, that are indicative of the kinds of changes that you need to begin to consider um, are first of all software is getting more granular mm-hmm. right if you look at from the perspective of of, of you as a enterprise software, you know, as, a, as an enterprise developer or as a, as a software developer looking to interact in the world of cloud computing and, and leverage cloud resources but also cloud services um, in general in a way that, that really lets you quickly enhance your business and be agile in terms of the way you address things. Um, but at the same time minimize the amount of effort that you have to take in order to to understand and run those services. You look at that situation and you begin to understand that, you know, with things out there like, uh, you know, various Amazon services like their, you know, everything from RDS, the, their, their relational database service to their billing services to a bunch of other things that they have readily available. You look at things like Twilio, which we use in Stratus and a number of the companies use for for, for all things phone communications, um, and there's a number of companies kind of in that space. If you look at, um, you know, other services like Salesforce.com and what they do with Force.com and your ability to build applications directly against the data set that's being, you know, created and managed ultimately by another application. Um, what you begin to understand is, is that these pieces and parts are coming together in in more granular ways. So there's more pieces and parts, not less. And they're, but they're each piece and part is actually simpler in some ways. Even if I consume Twilio, which is probably a very sophisticated application underneath, from my perspective, it's an API, and that API is actually relatively simple for me to develop to. And so the, the things we're building are becoming simpler, but the relationships those things have to the world around them are becoming more complicated and more sophisticated. And the thing to remember in a complex system is that if you want to thrive, you shouldn't trust anybody. You know, you shouldn't believe that something will be available at all times. It's like the old, uh, you know, myths about the network stuff that that Sun had put out some years ago. It's, you know, you can't really, you know, you can't make assumptions about what to, to trust. And so managing the relationships, building technology around managing the relationships between things, the relationships between your applications and the other applications that you own, relationships between your applications and the infrastructure they concern, they consume your applications and the other third-party services that you may be concerned concern, consuming elsewhere. Managing those relationships both in the code so that the code is resilient to failures in those relationships to other things, but also in terms of the management environment that you apply to running applications in general and understanding the, the, how you manage the relationships between two things that may not have been developed to work together in the past. Um, there's a whole bunch of opportunity here and there's a whole bunch of work there that you have to begin to do and you know the frame of reference that I use is not the only company in the world that's really good but it's, they're very public in what they do is Netflix and if you look at how they develop their application environments in Amazon to serve this massive audience that they have, um, they, what they do is an awful lot of things where they say, you know, the developer's responsible for the survivability of their and thriving of their own application components in the environment as a whole. That um, they build resiliency into the front pages that you you hit when you use your devices to choose what movies you're going to do, and the way they interact with the with the streaming companies that they. They use, including their own uh, CDN that they just launched, plus you know a bunch of the other CDNs they consume. What they're building for is not to say here's my nice stable environment in which everything is duplicated to give me HA. What they're building is an environment that says, gee, you know, if my personalization system for what movies I'm suggesting to you goes down, I have an alternative data source that will let me maybe um, serve up cache data. And if that's not available, then I have an alternative failover mechanism that lets me go to a general set of recommendations that I make generically to customers. And if I still can't get to that, I just don't draw that element on the screen at all. Okay. And, and you know, and by in doing that, think of Amazon does something similar. Think about the last time you went to Amazon.com and you didn't get a page at all, right? It Maybe. doesn't happen, Never. and that's the resiliency, and that's the the approach.
0: Okay, okay. So you know, one of the one of the interesting things that happens is. Um, You're obviously, you're out in the heart of Silicon Valley. Um, You're around folks all the time at at hackathons and developer events and so forth that that are kind of living and breathing this all the time. So to have this conversation with them uh, may not seem, you know, like, uh, you know, incredibly strange or incredibly new, right? They're kind of, they're getting bits and pieces of it. They've got colleagues who are doing those things, Um, but a lot of other folks that that aren't living in super web scale, but would like to take advantage of some of these things. They, they're in Cleveland, they're in Dallas, they're in, you know, London. Um, when you start having conversations with them and you say, well, you can't trust anything and you start making these very broad, different kind of statements, there's gotta be a point where they say, okay, so where do I get started? How do I start doing that? Um, I got to imagine somewhere in there, because uh, you have a tendency to align your your interest in the things that you work on with uh, the the types of companies or the technologies you work on. Help us, help me shift gears and and put Instratus a little bit into that conversation. Now, Instratus, you know, as we talk about, isn't really a an application development company, but it is a cloud management, resource management, governance. Right. Uh, you know, h- how do you guys fit into that conversation when you when you start off talking to people about you know this complexity of interconnectedness or things that you can't trust what, what right. are the, what are the first steps that a you know a set of tools like Instratus plays in that role?
1: Well, let me first say that we're very early, and so you know right now I'm having a discussion based on observation of the early growth of of the cloud in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. It seems like it's been everywhere, and I know it probably sounds kind of wacky to say early growth, but frankly, when you look at what the opportunity is. In the long term, and the and the the, op, the the long tail of computing that hasn't been touched because it wasn't economically viable before, now um, we're in the early stages. And um, so, so when I talk about all these sort of things about you know not trusting the other the wire, some of that is application development and application architecture that should be considered anytime you do a cloud app, especially if it's interconnecting with other elements that you both own and don't own in the cloud. Um, but Part of it is um, beginning to look at how operations changes in the face of the cloud operations model. And a big part of that change is removing from a server-centric operations model where... We would you know it really everything was about I've got a computer' it's thinking very much along the lines of extending desktop metaphors into desktop computing metaphors into the uh, the data center by saying "I've got a computer okay what OS am I going to put on that computer okay now that I have a computer in the OS what applications am I going to install on that on that computer um, all the identity was in terms of the machine, right? IP address was the identity of the machine host name. All of the metrics we were using, CPU utilization, memory utilization, I.O., they're all from the perspective of the server itself, not necessarily the applications running on the server. problem in cloud is I don't come to the cloud with a server. I come to the cloud with, an, with a set of bits that turns whatever cloud services I'm looking into into an application for my business, something that meets a business need that I have and so I'm bringing these bits it could be data it could be code it could be config information it could be policy and I'm bringing that information to the cloud to um, you know to basically to, to run my business using cloud services and so when you look at that the operations model changes from sort of the traditional silos that were very infrastructure centric server network storage those operations groups are becoming kind of now part of a, a a smaller section of what's actually has to happen, which is looking at infrastructure operations, which includes facilities, the hardscape, plus some of the management and automation at the infrastructure level. Then you have the services that are being offered on that infrastructure. So you have operators that are running your IAS service, running your PaaS service running, you know, maybe other applications that you're making available as a service. You know, there are people that are running SAP where they're offering, you know, self-service sign-up for for, uh, access to certain SAP capabilities and so on. Um, And then you have those people that are running the the stuff that you run on these services and that's where you get into the folks that I call application operations um, which are you know the people who actually are running the stuff that you run in the cloud so a great example of that is you know to kind of go through those three layers is you have Amazon, which is an infrastructure operator, but they're also running a set of services including EC2, S3, and others that are the services that expose that infrastructure to provide needs for IT. You then have folks like Kuroku that are additional service operators that are consuming Amazon services. In running their service, but they also are offering a service ultimately to more end customers on the front end, um, and then you have those people who are writing Ruby applications or you know the various other languages that they're they're increasingly supporting um, that run in the Heroku environment. And when you and those people then have to operate those applications, and when you have you know an increasing number of applications running Heroku, the problem of keeping track of what's running where and how they're related to each other becomes harder and harder. What Instratus is doing is really focusing on that application operations problem, that problem of how do you manage the stuff you want to run in the cloud um, against the cloud surface that you want to consume to, to get that those applications delivered. So we're really looking at a, a variety of things that are about how to decouple how you run the application from how, the services that you're consuming. And that includes basic you know provisioning of applications into infrastructure as a service environments, which we do a lot of today. So um, you know ba- basically saying you know I need an instance of a server, I want to run this image on it. Um, And, you know, it's still relatively server-centric at the baseline level, but beginning to move into the area where you say, but, you know, the way I organize those images and that data is from the perspective of the application that I'm running in the cloud. So that's one. Two, then, is is that how do you automate that and and begin to automate that, you know, across a wide variety of cloud services? And that decoupling of application operations from service operations lets you say things like, I want to build an application that runs across Amazon and Rackspace and my private cloud. And I want to use the operations tool to decide what runs where and how, you know, and what the scaling rules and policy and configuration is that I need to worry about in each of those clouds that I'm consuming. And so, and Stratus acts as an aggregation point for the automation um, capabilities that you need for the cloud. And in addition to that, there's the governance problem that we talked about before, which is now if I have everybody using Instratus as the console to access the cloud, how do I make sure that my tens or hundreds of development teams each have the right access to the right application capabilities and the right cloud um, service capabilities that they need to deliver what they have to without violating you know, a variety of things, including compliance uh, including um, you know internal co- corporate policy and so on. So that governance piece becomes really important and we do things in Stratus that are really cool like we, we, we do action level uh, access control where you could do things like say this junior operator, he can start an instance of this type but he can't stop one. Okay. Um, right. Um, and then the last piece that we are looking at then is if you're going to have this application operations environment that's decoupled from the services and is going to be a part of the enterprise operations environment, it really has to be open to the variety of different tools and services that you want to be able to consume because again if you have tens or hundreds of teams they're each gonna bring to the table either legacy stuff that they've been using or they're gonna you know there's gonna be new stuff that you want to be able to integrate um, over time so we've been very careful to make sure we're we're highly integrated with different capabilities and it's easy to integrate additional tools into what we do so we support Chef and Puppet today um, and we use their tools. We don't embed Chef chef and Puppet in what we do. We allow you to consume your Chef and Puppet environments uh, in a completely, you know, standard way in terms of how you would use those tools. Um, Same thing goes um, for what we're um, beginning to do work on with uh, with different image catalogs that are available in the market and different monitoring and management capabilities. We want to be able to um, very easily make it just a point-and-click capability to integrate a variety of different um, tools in the environment. And then to give you the APIs, which we have today, we have a very full set of APIs, both uh, APIs to to act against in Stratus, but also notification APIs to signal when we've taken an action as, um, in Stratus that you can use to basically integrate with a wide variety of tools, everything from, you know, lifecycle management tools to your other management tools to your, your you know, if you want to, your... Um, your uh, uh, configuration manager your um, uh, change management database systems and so on and so those those capabilities uh, that that integration that ability to integrate into your existing models and to evolve your operations models within Stratus as a part of your overall IT um, operations approach is really important to what we do as well and that and you know that allows you to begin to build an application level operations practice. That uh, is something that you know every enterprise is going to need with the cloud, but uh, but really nobody has looked at it that way. Very few companies have looked at it from an application perspective in the past.
0: Right. Yeah, and I and I think you know one of the things that's sort of interesting uh, when you talk about it and when I when I sort of see the things that that Instratus is adding, um, it is it's like you said it's this very uh, it's this very flexible model. So you want to. Uh, leverage AWS you want to leverage rackspace you want to uh, you want to leverage an openStack environment that could be running anywhere uh, a VMware environment whatever those things might be you know and it, again it could also be you know above infrastructure as a service it could be platform as a service so a, a cloud foundry service uh, or or whatever it, it's interesting because it takes a little bit different approach to what we heard for a while sometimes around when people would talk about hybrid clouds. So they talk about, well, hybrid cloud really means uh, you've got, you know, private type of services that that IT is running or or whoever is running it, but it's basically like stuff inside the walls and then uh, you know, when you've got certain use cases a bursting type of use case or a need more capacity on a on-demand use case um you'd have you'd have to sort of match what you did in-house with what you did you know externally through a service provider and what what you guys are really saying is um that might be all well and good somebody might want to do that and and you could you could manage it that way but is that really the way you you really want to have flexibility in how you in how you manage these things? So you may want to give your developers uh, purely a low cost type of option that is uh, you know very simple set of services they can enable. You may want to go to uh, give them a different set of of options that they can do in terms of what they want to build that has more robust services built around it. And what you're really focusing on is this. Kind of consistent layer that lets you say i 'm going to give you access to enabling the resources i 'm going to make sure that I can wrap policies around that either at a, a group level a person level um, so that we don 't um, you know get ourselves into a lot of trouble but you but you you do take away um, some of those things that, that might limit somebody that says, well, we're only going to allow you to do that if you've got like on one side of the pipe and like on the other side of the pipe. You're sort of saying that's irrelevant. What's really important is that um, I can give developers the resources that they want with the kinds they want. I can give IT a level of control so that they can solve business problems. And, and the consistency is really at that kind of horizontal level across wherever the resources are.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say it's great. Great description, but I wouldn't say that like versus like doesn't matter. Um, What I would say is, you know, that the 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 operations model that you apply to the resources and services that are available to you Mm -hmm. has to be able to take into account all those resources easily and actually simplify working with um, even potentially a very heterogeneous environment. The truth of the matter is, you know, the the operations model is not the images that you use, right? So, and it's not the tools that you use. It's not the operations model is ultimately the approach that you take towards the way you consume, you know, the the way that you deliver the applications you want to deliver and keep them running and make sure they perform and make sure you do that in a cost-effective fashion. So, what what becomes very interesting there is if you step back and look at it from how you how you want to operate your applications down to then, therefore, how do I consume resources to do that? When you take that top-down view of what's going on, um, you begin to see that, you know, more and more stuff, you can abstract more and more stuff about the resources and the services you're consuming um, and be consistent in the language and the, the, you know, the verbs and the nouns that you use without resorting to a least common denominator approach. To computing, right? So still allowing differentiation to come through from the different services. But when like is like, then in terms of the operations tasks, you can actually say, "Well, oh, this is consistent. The way I provision a server is consistent. The way that I applied load balancing, um, there may be different capabilities that are made available to me, but but generally, how I apply load balancing is consistently described for me, so that I don't have to relearn for every single provider. And so um the the short of that being that that you know that that um you have to solve the operations problem whether you know across multiple clouds whether or not hybrid cloud per se is your target, you have to be able to say that you know rather than having to go to to ten different you know to have 10 different screens for 10 different cloud providers, and having to deal with the fact that if I want to move applications around or if I want to spread an application across multiple providers, I now have to deal with the differences between the providers explicitly. What you want to be able to do is sit back and say, Well, my operations model is already set up for multi cloud, my operations model is already set up for large you know, multi-team environments. And now the question is, how can I begin to point that at the different services and capabilities I can consume? And, you know, over time, our job as a tool that makes it possible for you to do that, our job over time is to make it easier and easier and faster and faster and more and more agile for you to be able to address um, all the possible capabilities of cloud that your company might be able to benefit from without locking you in to a single approach, either a single pair of public impro- pro- providers that give you a, you must use this, you know, these two instances in order to be able to deliver approach, um, or even you know, uh, locking you out of new technology capabilities that may show up say a year from now or two years from now that may revolutionize things all yet again. We want to be able to say that you know, as long as you are understanding what are the components of an application and how you deliver that, Across, you know, IAS today is the primary focus, but we will certainly be looking at other service types like platforms as a service and eventually software as a service. Um, how do we maintain a, a consistent approach to how we deliver that? And um, and and so when we train someone on how to do operations in our world, whether it's a developer or you know an operations professional, when we train them, it's really easy for them to apply what they've learned across you know a v- wide variety of cloud services in a consistent fashion, um, and that's really you know, it doesn't mean that we magically make um, any pain of cloud consumption go away because there are always going to be differences and things that you have to address. Um, But what what we will say is that the, the ability to do that integration, um, the ability to leverage what, you know, what, what we've built or what our community begins to build around the, 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 Types of technologies that are made portable across cloud providers, or made optimized for a specific cloud provider, or anything along those lines. That ability is what you know. Our job, our job is to expose that and make that as easy for you to consume and consistent for you to consume as possible, while still giving you the full benefit of all the cloud services you may want to consume.
0: Okay, very good. Well, listen. Uh, last quick question. I'm, I'm just sort of trying to get a, a temperature reading, I guess, because you you get a chance to get out and talk to a lot of customers that are that are pushing the envelope on this that really want to solve business problems with with new ways of looking at applications and operations Um, last week there was a uh, there was an outage with uh, amazon Um, it was about i don't know five six hours however long it was Um, we had a similar one i don't know six seven eight months ago The one last year was everybody was up in arms. It was, oh my gosh, you know, the cloud can't do this and Amazon can't do this. The one last week seemed to be like a, you know, kind of a minor sort of tremor as opposed to an earthquake. Do you, just as a a temperature reading, do you get the sense people are becoming more and more comfortable that, um... You know the cloud is what it is. It's got the characteristics that it does, some some good and some bad and, and people are beginning to adjust to that and, and in some cases learning the right ways to deal with it, whether it's tools or operations or whatever, or are we still a long way from them really getting it?
1: Well, I, and now we get into the whole difference between you know a company that is online for a living and consuming cloud for a living versus a company that is um, you know that where where IT is looking at cloud as a way to either address agility or cost management or something along those lines. <laughs> um, I would say that there's a class of companies out there. Typically, I call them Web Two O, and there's some of the big data and analysis companies as well that learned a big lesson with the first Amazon outage. Um, Some of them survived, but scrambled like crazy to do so. Some of them didn't survive, but, you know, realized that, you know, that... You can't make assumptions about what you, when you read what Amazon says, you can't make assumptions about how strongly they mean it. It's not that they, Amazon lied. Amazon's very clear about you should use multiple regions, you should use multiple availability zones. But people thought, you know, more than one availability zone was enough. And those companies that were burned by that, that depended on running on the cloud in order to be a business, made the changes they need to make. And this time around you had far fewer companies run into those issues. In fact, you know, some of the companies that did run into issues, they're kind of beginning to land on a hall of shame because they you know they really ought to have learned from the previous experience and they seemingly didn't. Um, so I, I think what you what on the enterprise side, though, you know, I, I'm, I'm beginning to hear talk about engineering new applications in different ways so that they can take advantage of the cloud and, and cloud models more successfully. But to be really honest, unless it's an online portion of a business, most enterprises haven't really pushed their their need for general enterprise software yet to the point where they've. They've done the things they need to survive an Amazon outage outright. So I think in some ways you don't have all the players at the table yet that would really have yelled and screamed. But at the same time, people have learned lessons from each of these, and they're designing differently so that there's less of an impact. Each outage has less of an impact overall on the market than the one before it.
0: Okay. Well very good. So we're making we're making some progress even if sometimes it's uh, only part of the industry or it's or it's a little slower, but we're making some progress. So I
1: think I think something's gonna happen technically in the next year or two, maybe three, that is going to finally move where so in enterprise is interesting in this market because in, in a lot of ways this is the first major transition to computing where enterprise trails the rest of the you know, other markets completely. So they trail consumer in terms of cloud adoption, they trail, um, you know, government from in, in general mm-hmm. from cloud adoption. So what I think you're going to see is you're going to see some combination of factors come together, including you know, the budget finally showing up and the initiatives finally getting mature enough within the enterprise that are going on today, plus new technologies, new service offerings, um, new lessons learned about architecture and and tools that that incorporate those lessons learned that will cause a, a very, very strong shift in application development and deployment in the enterprise. Um, uh, towards, uh, you know, a, a public cloud-first model, most likely, although private cloud will always be there, and I'm not, I, 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 I think private cloud has a, a strong purpose. But I think you'll start to see people sort of saying that it's actually easier to turn out successful applications for the enterprise in a, in a cloud model and even a public cloud model at some point in time. And when that happens, all this discussion about outages, and, and, and you know, unless there's pure negligence on the part of a cloud provider, Um, I think outages will be, you know, it's just part of the game. What are you complaining about kind of stuff, you know? Right,
0: right. Well, very good. Well, James, uh, with that, I'm going to kind of wrap it up. Thank you so much for the time, as always. Uh, We're out of time for the week. Um, James, where, for people that want to follow what you're working on or find you out and about in the industry, where can they find you, Um, where can they follow the things you're writing or, or keep up with you or connect with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, on Twitter, I'm very active. Uh, it's just uh, James Urker, first name, last name together as one string. Um, and uh, you know, I, I welcome anybody to follow me and and uh, you know interact with me directly there. I, I enjoy conversations online quite a bit. Um, I'm also writing uh, not as frequently as I'd like, but I'm writing pretty frequently for GigaOM, uh on their cloud covers of slash uh, cloud It's a great place to find me there. Um, and there's an author page for me as well, and, and I'm sure Brian will include the link for that. And then uh, the, the last uh, uh, good place to find me is, is at a number of, of cloud events. Uh, you know'll be at structure next or actually this week, I guess not huh? It's all going by so fast, but uh, and then uh, you'll know, be at a number of events uh, late this summer and in the fall time frame as well. Um, I welcome people to, to walk up and introduce themselves, uh, um, be a part of the conversation. Uh, ongoing, um, and especially, you know, as we dig into this, this, you know, the, what complex systems means to the way we operate applications in the cloud. Uh, people who have insights on that, I'd love to hear from you, uh, and and uh, converse with you that way. Um, and then I'm at in Stratus, and and uh, uh, people can contact me um, uh, there, first name dot last name at Stratus.
0: Okay, very cool. Well, folks, we're going to wrap it up for the week. Um, thanks again to James. You can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet, or reach us on the web at thecloudcast.net. You can check out uh, all the updates, to the website, our YouTube channel, and as well as uh, links to the show, uh, how to download the show on iTunes and Stitcher. And thanks again for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.